we're in the sermon series, Seeing Jesus, Seeing God. It's our epiphany series in which we're looking at, you know, at Christmas time, baby Jesus arrives. And so we say, Jesus is here. That's the answer to prayer. That's all the hopes and fears of all the years, right, are, are met in the night. Like Jesus shows up. And then the question of epiphany is, what does Jesus show us about God? What does Jesus show us about ourselves, right? And so as we get a clearer picture of who Jesus is, we get a clearer picture of who God is. And so that's been our goal. Each week we've asked the question, um, asked a different question about the story of Jesus that we look at, and we try to see what that teaches us about who God is. This week's sermon title, we asked the the question, what does God want me to be? The alternative title, um, if I wasn't doing the whole question thing, was going to be called uh, Career Day. It's going to be the the, the alternative sermon title. It's going to be called Career Day. Um, which is why I brought my hard hat. Um, did you guys growing up have career day in school? You know, did you ever have that? No? Yeah, a few nods. So this was a thing that um, I, every year when I was in uh, kindergarten, probably through fourth or fifth grade, we had, we had career day. And it was kind of this moment where kids were supposed to pick out what they wanted to do with the rest of their lives. So as a kindergarten, you're supposed to go, what do I want to do with the rest of my life, right? Because like, you know that as a kindergarten. Um, and then, and then part of that was you're supposed to draw a picture um, representing that career. And then, as in good uh, American fashion, we would judge the dreams that kids would have and decide which one was the best. Um, and there'd be a career day winner. I don't know if your schools had that, but mine had that. So um, it was really great as a kindergartner um, to have your dreams judged against other people's dreams. But so as a kindergarten, the first time I had career day, um, I drew a picture of what my dad did. And my dad worked uh, for, at the time, what was called Illinois Bell. It was the phone company in Illinois. And this is his old hard hat. And I wanted nothing more. Um, this is really awkward. Um, but I'm going to do it anyways. I wanted nothing more uh, than to be just like my dad. Right? As a kindergartner, I wanted nothing more than to do what my dad did. He he was a splicer for the phone company, which meant he had a bucket truck that went like 25 feet up in the air and extended out all over the places, and he, he ran wires, and he was just learning this, this new cutting-edge technology called fiber optics. He was on the team that was learning and getting trained on how to install fiber optics, which is like kind of standard practice anymore, but back in the, those days, it was cutting-edge, and he was learning how to do that, and so <clears throat> I wanted to be like my dad. My teacher came around and saw my drawing of me saying I wanted to work for the phone company and said, um, number one, you could probably do better drawing because I was a terrible, I still am, I can't draw. Um, But number two, she said, that's not a bad goal, but you could probably shoot higher than that. You could probably dream for something bigger than that. Kids in my class were saying they wanted to be the president. They wanted to be a school teacher. They wanted to be, um, you know, whatever the big things are, um, you know whatever the most important, I don't remember, lawyers or I, I don't remember what they all were, but I remember being told specifically by my teacher that I should probably try and come up with something big. If I wanted to win the contest, phone guy wasn't going to win the contest. And so I flipped my paper over and decided that I wanted to be the uh, third baseman for the Chicago Cubs. <clears throat> and... Um, I drew that picture, and my teacher came by and said, hey, that's, that's a really good goal. That you got to work really hard to become that. And So every year uh, after that, I drew myself as the third baseman for the Chicago Cubs. And 
because I really needed a good third baseman for a long time. I thought that that could be me. Um, But I wanted to be like my dad. And because I wanted to be like my dad, uh, I learned a lot from him. He was my teacher. And so um, just everyday life type of stuff. When I was nine or ten years old, um, we moved to uh, kind of a rural place. We had some land, some acres, and I wanted a dirt bike or a four-wheeler. And my dad said, no, you don't need a dirt bike or a four-wheeler at nine or ten years old. But a guy that he worked with was selling what was called a Honda Odyssey. Now, today, a Honda Odyssey is a minivan. But back in the 80s, uh, a Honda Odyssey was like a single-person dune buggy, like a a go-kart, but with like a heavy-duty steel roll cage, 250 or 350cc, two-stroke motor. Like, the thing was a a tank. Um, You had the H-harness, you buckled in. Your gas and your brake were on the steering wheel. Like it was, it was like a single-person do buggy. So I couldn't get a dirt bike or four-wheeler, but I could get that. And so my dad bought me this Odyssey. And one of the first times I was out riding in our field, um, it got kind of muddy and kind of slippery. And our field bordered a fence line that was woods. And so I had a trail that went right along the fence line. Well, I came around one corner going too fast, slid on the mud, and went into the woods at probably 25 or 30 miles an hour. Um, nine, ten years old, probably ten, I go flying into the woods, and I'm dodging trees, and I'm feeling really good about myself because it, it was cool. Like, I mean, it was really... And then um, <clears throat> I hit a railroad tie that was buried, that was being used as a, a fence post, so it was buried vertical. It was probably four or five feet down, and it brought me to a dead stop. Instantly, just bam, done, stop. <clears throat> so my dad, who was out there um, camcordering, videotaping the whole thing with one of those ancient monstrosities of video camera, comes running up to me, and set, grabs me by the, the helmet, the chin bar of the helmet, and says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, yeah, I think so, I'm fine. And uh, he said, good. Did you have fun? And I said, what? <laughs> he goes, did you have fun? And I said, I, I guess so. He goes, good, because if you're going to do something that stupid, you might as well enjoy it while you're doing it, right? <laughs> these were the types of lessons I learned from my dad. Uh, another time... Uh, my parents had given me some money to get a, a high school class ring. I don't know why, necessarily looking back, why I wanted one so much, but I, I got one. I came home with this class ring. It had my name on it, and it had, I think, a Bible on one side and baseball stuff on the other side. And I came home. My dad had gotten home from work and was sitting on the front porch. He said, hey, sit down. Sit down. I want to talk to you for a minute. And uh, <clears throat> he says, I want, to, I want to talk to you about something really important. He said, you got this ring today, and I just feel like this is a good time to talk about this. He says, um, at some point, some little girl is going to come up to you and say your name and laugh and th- tell you you're the best and the greatest and stuff. He's like, and girls are great and they're, they're fine and everything. He's like, just don't give them anything valuable. And then after saying that, he slapped me on the leg and got up and went in the house. And that was the only lesson I ever got from my dad about dating or girls or whatever. It was just don't give them anything valuable. Um, again, those were the <laughs> types of lessons I got from my dad. Uh, but I also learned how to be a good and godly person, right? I wanted to be like him. Uh, he taught Sunday school. He did. He was a deacon at the church. He did things. We were a different denomination, but like he did things at the church. He was part of the board. He he was a good and godly man. And and at his work, everybody loved Griff. That was his name. That was part of the reason I wanted to be like him. He had a really cool nickname, and he worked with people named like Smitty and JT. And, right? These were cool people. So, anyways, I, I wanted to be like my dad, and so. I watched him, and I did what he did. 
I did my best to follow his example and his teaching. Because even at a young age, I, nobody ever had to teach me this, but even at a young age, I, I think I knew something instinctively. But busyness in life and kind of the chaos and all the responsibilities, you, you seem to forget this. But I knew instinctively, and I'm going to put this message on the screen. I think I knew this. I think, do we have it? There it is. Who you follow is who you become. I think instinctively I knew that. I wanted to be like my dad, so I followed my dad. If he said, this is how you do it, then that was how I did it. And so during this Epiphany series, it's not just knowing about Jesus or even meeting Jesus, which are both really good things. It's good to know things about Jesus. It's good to to meet and have an initial encounter with this Jesus. But during Epiphany, it's actually about learning to hear his voice and ultimately choosing to follow him because who you follow is who you become. We're going to turn in uh, our scriptures, if you have your Bible, or if you follow along on, on screen, or a Bible app, or in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Um, again, Mark chapter 1, 14 through 20. This story about Jesus this morning. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to the people, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, we receive your word this morning. May it be the light that lightens our path. May it provide a way forward. Teach us how to walk in obedience and faithfulness to you. May your spirit quicken our hearts and our minds so that we hear you calling us and every desire of our being is to follow you. May we be more like your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as a, as a kid, this Jesus calling the fishermen to be his followers was one of my favorite Sunday school stories, one of my favorite Bible stories. And I think it had something to do with the fact that there was this little song that went along with it. You guys know the Sunday school song about Jesus calling people to make them fishers of men. I'm not going to sing it because you don't want that this morning. Um, but as a kid, I really liked this story. I thought it was neat. Um, but as I became an adult, as I became a pastor, as I began talking to other people, um, I saw that this, this story brought some fear and anxiety to people. And they didn't want to talk about it. There was kind of something underneath the surface here that I didn't necessarily recognize at first, and it took me a while to understand what was going on. There's more anxiety and a little bit more fear surrounding this scripture story, although people, like I said, just they don't want to acknowledge it. And I think that fear and anxiety comes from the way that this story has been told. As we discussed um, <clears throat> before, we've talked about how when you tell the story the wrong way, you can get the wrong meaning out of the story, or it can highlight the wrong things. And I think this is maybe one of those stories that has been told uh, in ways that haven't been the most helpful. Um, the details of the story are simple enough, right? Jesus is walking 
um, by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew fishing. It's pretty straightforward. He told them to follow him, and they dropped their nets and followed him. And then Jesus, Andrew, and Simon left where they were, and they went, and they saw James and John mending nets. And Jesus said, follow me, and they dropped what they were doing, and they quit working on their nets, and they left their boat to follow Jesus. And that's the story. So why has there been fear and anxiety and stress over this story? It seems pretty straightforward. When, when it's been used as a recruitment speech um, or motivational speech for clergy, um, it makes us pastors feel like Marines. Right? Like this, when Jesus comes calling for you, you have to be ready to immediately drop everything you have. Quit everything you are doing. Be willing to abandon your relationships, abandon your family, walk away and forsake your future for the sake of the kingdom, right? And as, as somebody is a, for me, you know, think of when I was a freshman in college feeling called to ministry, like this kind of got your, your adrenaline pump. And this felt like the call to, to be this uh, superhero, right? Like you can't hold on to anything and still follow Jesus. This is this message, right? The Mark, especially the gospel of Mark, everything happens fast in the gospel of Mark. He says everything immediately happens and then immediately happens. And so if you read through the, the gospel of Mark and you're getting tired, it's because that's Mark makes everything happen fast. But as a, a college student called into ministry, um, you know, that's that's how it made you feel was like this great call upon your life. It was kind of like the pep talk that you get from a, a coach. You know, going into the championship game, you see this in the movies and stuff, right? They, there's time for one more play. This play will determine everything. It'll be who gets the, the, the championship. If, if we don't score here, you're going to lose. It's all or nothing on this. And if you are willing to drop your nets, leave your families, let go of your hope and dreams for the future, and commit to following Jesus wherever he goes, then you have a chance at winning, Right? Anything less than that won't be good enough. It's this big hype, this big uh, motivational thing that's supposed to get you geared up and fired up. Like I said, as a 19-year-old college student who felt a call to ministry, this uh, got the adrenaline flowing like I was in a, a training montage, like in the Rocky movies, right? Like the Eye of the Tiger's playing, and I've got my, my Bible commentaries, my textbooks for the, the semester, you know, willing to run through the wall and walk away from everything in order to be faithful to the call. At one point, I used to describe my commitment to preparing for ministry as uh, faith with reckless abandon. I was going to follow God no matter what it cost. And there was hard seasons in that, and that, that understanding of this the scripture kind of got me through, like Nothing's going to get in the way of me following what Jesus has asked me to do. But as I got older and as I talked to other people about this type of faith, this reckless, abandoned faith, we seemed more hesitant. This story of Jesus calling people to immediately drop their nets, to abandon everything that is meaningful to them, to follow Jesus, actually caused a lot of fear. Does, Jesus, does following Jesus mean that any moment Jesus could ask you to abandon the most important things in your life? 
Does saying yes to Jesus mean that you are going to be uprooted from your family and community in order to be sent on some mission trip to remote locations on the other side of the world? I mean, have you ever heard sermons preached along these lines and, or read books or devotionals along these lines? I know I have. I, I know I've preached these types of sermons, right? And my intention was always to kind of encourage and um, challenge comfortable Christians, complacent Christians, to a life of greater commitment, to a life of more engagement, inviting them to take an, a, another step in faith, their next step in faith. But what I didn't realize necessarily when I was preaching these messages or having these conversations or doing this teaching around this idea was how this message sounded to people exploring the possibility of becoming a Christian or those who were new to Christianity or those who were just wondering what the Christian life was supposed to look like. I've talked to people who have felt shame and guilt because while they absolutely wanted the forgiveness of Jesus, while they wanted the healing that Jesus could provide, and the love of God, they weren't sure if they were willing to abandon their family, quit their jobs, and be sent to some uncharted corner of the world in order to do that. And because they didn't think they could say yes to all of that, they didn't think they could say yes to Jesus. Or if they did say yes to Jesus, they felt shame or guilt for not being as committed of a Christian as they think they should be. And so we live in this, this tension of, Saying, saying yes to Jesus, saying I'm going to follow him, but I don't know if I'm willing to, to walk away from everything in my life to embrace this Jesus. And I want to make clear before I, I go any further, I, I do believe that being a Christian requires sacrifice. Right? There is a cost to being a follower of Jesus. Jesus <clears throat> told his followers to pick up their cross and follow him. The cross wasn't a, a, an item of comfort. It was a means of execution. And so Jesus, even in his call to, to his disciples, was pointing to a, a death and preparing them for a death of sorts. And having followed Jesus with a call into ministry, my family and I have, have had to make some hard decisions in order to remain faithful to what God has called us to do. So I'm not trying to stand up here before you today and say that like, calling, being called by Jesus is, is not a hard thing. There aren't hard decisions or there doesn't take a certain level of commitment. I don't hear that today. And some of us did when we first heard that call to faith take a running leap, a, a cannonball into the deep end of faith. We heard the call and we were all in. But for many of us, most of us that I talked to, it was more of a tiptoe, you know, check the water temp before we got in. Kind of wade into the shallow end and went from there. So I think there's something else going on in the this, this scripture story, though. I don't think it's a challenge um, or a message saying you have to have super amounts of faith. You have to be willing to just let go of everything the moment you hear Jesus call you or it's not good enough. I don't think that's what Jesus is modeling here. To understand all of what is happening in our scripture this morning, it's helpful to understand a bit about the way that the world worked in the day of jesus right i'm a history history nut so you're going to come back and you're going to get history probably every week um, we grew up as americans or modern folk hearing the message that we could be whatever we wanted to be we can be anything we want that we could figure out what our skills are we could figure out what we're passionate about 
and we can make the decision, I'm going to get that education, I'm going to get that training, I'm going to get that, that job and do what I dream of doing. But the ancient world, when Jesus lived, functioned differently. Um, in these villages and towns around uh, Israel, the young boys would go to school, sometimes girls, but probably not very often would, would go to school. And they would learn the Torah. They would learn uh, the laws and the teachings, you know, probably the stories of Moses. And they would learn those things. Um, but at some point, these young boys would return home and work with their dad. They'd learn their father's trade. Right? So, in the, in the scriptures tell us that Joseph was a carpenter, so we assume that Jesus was a carpenter as well, right? Or work, a workman, worked with stone or wood or whatever, right? Because boys would return home and learn the trades that their father would do. Unless you were the best. Unless you were the brightest. Unless you impressed the teacher um, with your ability to think about Scripture, to memorize Scripture, to learn the Torah. If you were in that upper echelon, that, that top tier a rabbi would come by and invite you to follow him. And so your education would, would move on. No longer would you go to the local little school place, but you would become a disciple of the rabbi, and you would start following that rabbi as he went around and did his teaching. Because, as we've already pointed out, and we're going to, I think, have it on the screen again, if we got the slide, who you follow is who you become. Right? So some of these boys would go home. The girls would already be at home learning how to be like their mother. Some of these boys would go home and they'd learn to be like their dad. But a select few, the best of the best, would get called by the rabbis and they would learn how to become a rabbi. Because who you follow is who you become. And kind of an add-on to this message today is this other statement that I want you to hear. Of all the things you could become, God desires for you to become like Jesus. So keep that in your mind as we go forward. The one who teaches you, disciples you, guides you is the one who shapes who you are and who you will become. And so Jesus calling these brothers to follow him isn't Jesus saying, if you are tough enough, if you are strong enough, if you are good enough, you can join my team. It's Jesus inviting them to follow him so that he can be their teacher. So they will be formed and shaped by him. This isn't about being good enough or having enough faith to begin following Jesus. It's not about being willing to abandon your current life or your family. It's about identifying who is going to teach you, who is going to guide you, who is going to shape you into who you will become. Who you follow is who you become. Of all the things you can become, God desires for you to become like Jesus. And so if you make the decision if you make the commitment to follow Jesus, you can expect the ways, the teachings of Jesus to start shaping you. There will always be the voices of a variety of other teachers inviting you to follow them. There's always a multitude of voices calling out to us. And some of these voices are so familiar and so comfortable, we may not even realize how they're shaping us. Some seem so innocent. Some may seem like they're just entertainment I don't take that seriously. It's just for fun. It gives me a laugh. Kills an hour while I'm waiting for something else. 
but it's shaping us. Some voices play on our fears and invite us to follow them because they say they provide the solutions to the things that we're afraid of. I was participating in a discussion with with pastors. It's it's been a a while back now, but we were talking about the challenges of discipling uh, today. Challenges of making disciples, of being faithful to what Jesus has called us to do to make Christ-like disciples. And we almost all seem to agree that people being discipled into the image of Jesus is being directly challenged by a few powerful voices that drowned out that soft, still voice of Jesus. Voices like social media, cable news, and political powers and affiliations, we are being shaped by those voices more than we may even be aware. They are our teachers, and we are following them. They are teaching us what makes our lives worth living. They are teaching us what success looks like. They're teaching us what our, our value in life is. They're teaching us who our enemies are. They're teaching us how we treat our enemies. They're providing an entire way of life. They're teaching us morals of what is acceptable attitudes and what is acceptable behaviors towards other people and what is not. They're teaching us about our looks, our money, our value, our community, our sense of identity. All these competing voices want to invite you to follow them. They are teaching us our priorities and giving us a lens through which to view the world. These public and powerful voices are saying, like Jesus said, follow me. And the truth is that Jesus has much to say about all these things that I just listed off. About our money, our value, our community, our sense of identity, our morals our enemies and what we do with them. Like Jesus has, has a, so much to say about all those things. But we struggle to hear Jesus' voice because these other voices drowned them out. And I had this conversation with these other pastors and we lamented on the effects that this largely divisive and unhealthy voice or voices were having in the church at large. Because who you follow is who you become. Of all the things you could become, God desires for you to become like Jesus. And of course, it's not just social media and cable news shaping us. That would be too easy to just blame them. There are so many other voices inviting us to follow them. Asking us to let them be the teacher. Let them shape who we are and who we we will become. These voices can include people like our families, our friends, our places of employment, our neighborhoods, our communities, our teachers and coaches, our favorite TV shows, our books, our Sunday school teachers, and our pastors. All are asking for you to follow them, to let them shape you. And so the challenge for us in this time is this. As we hear so many voices inviting us to follow, listen to the voice of Jesus. And commit to following him. Right? As we hear so many voices that want us to follow them. Listen for the voice of Jesus. And commit to following him. Now this requires a deliberate decision. You're not going to accidentally hear Jesus. You're not going to accidentally follow Jesus. 
It requires a deliberate decision and continued effort. But it's worth it. We have so many options in our culture today of which voices we can listen to. And some of them are, are, are way more appealing than others. Some of them are tempting. Some of them seem like they provide the answers that we're looking for. Some of them seem like they're going to protect us and take care of us or provide for us the things that we so desperately want or need. But remember, who you follow is who you become. So learn to ask why you believe what you believe. Who taught you this? Right? How is that voice, how is that teacher shaping you? Does that make you more like the person God wants you to be? Does that make you more like Jesus? If not, it's a good possibility that that voice isn't the voice of Jesus. But if you choose to follow Jesus, to hear his voice, to respond to it, it will be Jesus himself that is shaping you. It is Jesus himself that will be your teacher. You'll be given a life that looks like the life God wants you to have. And as I start to conclude this message, I want to circle back to something we looked at a few moments ago. When Jesus called the brothers, the fishermen, he invited them to follow him. And it looks like he was forcing them to leave their families, to leave their profession, to leave everything that they've known, their livelihood, to leave all of that to follow him. In order to follow Jesus, they had to leave everything. And I've had conversations with people that fear this very thing. They think if they become a Christian or if they get baptized or whatever level of commitment that, that they're afraid of making, um, that God will take away everything they care about and send them off to some faraway land to be a missionary. Or even worse, that God may um, go make them pastor a church somewhere. That's supposed to be a joke, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but I want to make sure you don't miss something important today as I encourage you to commit to hearing and following Jesus. When Jesus calls these fishermen, when he calls them to, and invites them to follow him, when he says, I will be your teacher and you will be my disciple, my student, my apprentice, what does he say to them? He said they will become fishers of men. Now, following Jesus doesn't mean that God is going to erase your identity and wipe you clean of, of any sense of who you are or who you've been. Rather, God is using you who you are to fulfill a greater purpose. Jesus said, you fish, but now instead of just fishing for fish, you're fishing with a greater mission. And that means you can follow Jesus in your life. You can follow Jesus as a mother or a father. You can be faithful and follow Jesus as a teacher or a construction worker or a phone guy or a janitor or a secretary. God can use the very thing that you are doing, things that you are good at, things that you care about, things that you are passionate about to share the good news with God or the good news of God's kingdom with others. Right? And so that, that fear that God's just going to Erase everything that, that you are and you know if you're just a little bit more committed can be replaced with the promise that, that God wants to use you the way that God has gifted you 
the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're good at, those are things that come from God. In fact, Jesus very much wants his followers to be present in schools and in office buildings and on job sites and in hospitals and in homes and everywhere, right? And well, God could call you to pull up your roots and move to a foreign land as a missionary. I mean, that's within God's realm. He does that. From time to time, he calls people to to leave all that's familiar and go to a foreign place. The truth is that God needs missionaries right here in Battle Creek. And Marshall and Climax and Springfield and Union City. And and you get the idea, right? Like Kalamazoo. Like God needs missionaries here. Living out of their gifting. Living out of what he has called them to do. And so if you are holding back on saying yes to following Jesus because of what might happen next. If you are holding on to fully letting God have your life. I want you to know this scripture about following Jesus is a less about what Jesus wants your job title to be. It's less about where Jesus wants you to go to work in the morning and more about who is shaping and forming you, who you are and who you will become. Because who you follow is who you become. So choose to follow Jesus so that you can become more like him. The world is desperate for people shaped by Jesus. The world is desperate for people shaped into the image of Jesus. And becoming more like Christ, you will experience a peace and a life that you cannot experience by following anyone else. These other voices may be appealing. These other paths may be uh, tempting. But only Jesus, the teacher, leads us on the path that leads to life. I'm going to pray and invite the the praise team to come and lead us in a time of response. And as they come and as they they lead us, you can sing along, you can pray. Um, But if you're bold, you can ask yourself what voices have been the loudest in your ears the past few months. Which teacher are you following? What things are we afraid of? that God will take from us if we commit to him. Do we want to be like Jesus? 